Well, good morning. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Uh, actually, I was falling asleep there for a second. It has been quite the last uh, 12 hours. My grandmother turned 90 years old on Friday. And so I flew down Thursday afternoon to Orlando, right outside of Orlando. We celebrated her birthday on Friday, had a big party at her church uh, yesterday afternoon. And at this time last night, I was flying back and got in about midnight um, last night. And now I'm here and now I'm supposed to uh, put some words together uh, of some value and share those with you today. And so, uh, you know, you're never supposed to apologize in advance for like a performance and everything, but... I'm going to give you every excuse in the book this morning uh, in case I might fall asleep right here. Uh, on The good news is, though, I rehearsed this on the plane last night, and the guy next to me only fell asleep about halfway through. So it was really good. It was I was very excited um, about that. I thought, wow, I made it halfway through. And um, But anyway, my name is Troy Freeman. I'm the worship pastor here at First Baptist. And for those of you that are guests with us, we thank you for worshiping with us uh, today. Preben is speaking this morning in Atlanta. And so... Uh, I'm here. I'm here. I, 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 I'm not sure what I have to give you. I'm not sure what the Lord has placed on my heart. I hope that what I say and what I uh, convey to you is directly from his heart. Now, I will apologize. Last week, I made a very um, flippant comment um, that was rude. It was, it was shallow. And I said that if you're a guest, fill out the welcome card, but don't do it during the music. Do it during the sermon. And, and God convicted me that this week. And so I, I'm coming to you now saying, don't fill it out during the sermon. All right. Today. All right. You should have already filled it out during the music. And if God puts on my heart and changes my heart next week, I'll let you know and we'll flip that back around. All right. But anyway, I want to, I want to start this morning, uh, just with uh, a word of prayer, uh, praying that God would, uh, do the speaking today. All right, let's pray. God, thank you for the opportunity to, uh, to be here this morning. I thank you for the opportunity to worship you. I thank you for who you are, what you're doing in our lives. And God, thank you that you are a God who saves, that you're a God who still moves. And this morning, I pray, Lord, that you would be the one that speaks this morning. I pray that your name would be the name that we speak as we leave this place. And that, God, that your spirit would be the one that sustains us through this week. May you be blessed. For it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So what I'm going to share with you this morning is kind of um, not, for most of us in the room, is not very new. It's not earth shattering. It's, it's, it's not really um, maybe a, a fresh spin on things. It's almost like a recalibration. It's almost like a chance to come back and just to look at what truly matters. You know, we're in a day right now, these days and weeks, months, now years of this pandemic have taken this situation that's probably been brewing in the words of the great theologian, Billy Joel. We didn't start the fire. It's burning since the world's been turning. And so we did, it, it, it was already brewing, but, but this situation that we're in and where we find ourselves has kind of poured fuel on it and everything has raced and we find ourselves as a church, we find ourselves, um, maybe smaller in number. And I mean big C church. I mean churches all across this world and people beginning to look at, okay, what really matters and what's essential in my life? 
So today, I needed this. I needed to come back and just say, what is paramount? What's most important? You know, the word only is very powerful. We just sang it in that song. Turns graves into gardens, turns mourning to dancing. He's the only one who can. I got in last night, nothing like being gone for just a couple days, to realize what the people in your house apparently think only you can do. I got out of my truck. It was cold. It was, don't, don't, don't say, oh, you were in Florida. Don't complain. It was freezing in Florida. It was freezing. It was a, it was, they were, had a wind chill warning. It was going to be like 30 and they were freaking out and covering their dogs and everything. They were, they didn't want anything to affect it. But, but I came home and I thought, you know what? I usually get the mail. I better go check the mailbox. And I opened the mailbox and it just, Threw up on me. I mean, things just poured out, poured out. I never have to get the packages that Amazon brings off the doorstep. But the mail is my job, apparently. Nobody does that, all right? I walked inside. The garbage was all the way up, all the way up. Apparently, only I can do take out the garbage. I walked in the backyard. Apparently, and I knew this already, apparently I'm the only one that can clean up the dog poop in the backyard, But I want to give you a warning right now. If you ever realize those things that maybe you do, like maybe you're the one, maybe you don't put the toilet paper on the roll, but you are the only one that can put it the right way where it goes over, you know? When you start griping about the things that only you can do or whatever, when you bring those up, those will become your responsibilities from then on. And you are the only one that can do that. All right? The word only. This is the definition. Solely or exclusively. And no one or nothing more besides. Right? Very extreme. It's a strong word. Another definition. Single or solitary. Alone of its kind. You're the only, you're our only hope, Batman. For your eyes only. Of course, that makes all of us think it's talking to us. Authorized personnel only beyond this point. Nothing piques your interest more than that sign. Or how about this? Exit only. Really? Let's give it a try. <laughs> only. If there's something only you can do, there is no one else that can do that. Seriously, now, do you feel that there are things that only you can do? Maybe flip it a little bit. Maybe there's control issues there. Maybe there's things that you, you feel that only you can do. Maybe you are, um, uh, at work, a little bit of a control freak. I've been accused of being a little bit of a control freak, just a tiny bit. But uh, who laughed? My wife? No, who's that? Okay. When we begin to keep record of the things that only we can do, that's something that only I can do, then begins this feeling of control and power. And you begin to see responsibilities that you've given yourself that maybe weren't yours to be assigned. Kind of affects the way as, as we've been working the last couple Wednesday nights in rehearsal with choir and orchestra, we've been talking about how our view of God and the view of, of, of his responsibilities, our responsibilities, or how big God is or what God can do affects the way we worship and live and put our hopes, 
our concerns, our hurts, our desires on him. But we don't do that if we don't think he's big enough for that. So often the way we live our life is just if it depends on us and it's we can are the only ones that can do fill in the blank. And it limits God's power in our lives because we begin to get this very small view of who God is. We Oh, sure, we think he's a little bit bigger than who we are. We're not, we're not equal with God, but maybe we're just a little bit below God, or at least that's what we do with our actions. Sometimes it's good to do an inventory of responsibilities. So I'm here to tell you today that there truly are things, okay? We need to recognize very quickly the things that only God can do. The things that only God can do. I'm not in one certain passage, so if you try to keep up with these, uh, you'll be flipping through like a nervous Bible drill child. You need to, you need to watch up on the screens and read along with me, or you could try and keep up with those, but we're gonna go right through these because I want us to see that there are things that only God can do. And I don't think we're going to disagree on these. But every once in a while, again, you need to recalibrate or, or take an inventory of these responsibilities. So let's look at the first one. All right. The first one is only God can cause people to seek him. Only God can cause people to seek him. Look at this verse in Romans. All right. There is no righteous person, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks out God. If someone is genuinely asking questions about God, that is his spirit at work in their life. Only God can cause people to seek him. Let's look at the second one. Only God can draw people to him. All right? Only God can draw people to Jesus. All right? So look at this verse right here. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. Jesus says these words. Okay, so this is even more pronounced than the first one. God is the only one uh, that can make people seek after him. He's also the only one that can draw people to him. It can't be manufactured. And we see people coming to Christ. And we see people that are being drawn to Christ. Then we know God is at work because only God can do that. Third thing, all right, take a look at this. Only God can reveal spiritual truth. All right, you can read his word, but God's spirit reveals the truths that are in his word. Look at the verse right here. It says here, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and remind you of all that I said to you. Only God can take those truths that we read out of his word. He's given us his word. But when you see spiritual eyes of people being open to God's truth, then you know God's at work because only God can do that. Next thing only God can do. Only God can convict a person of sin. This one's important. This was very important. Take a look at this verse in John. And he, when he comes will convict the world regarding sin and righteousness and judgment. Now, I know what you're saying. My loved one or my best friend or whatever, they can convict me of anything. I, I, I feel like they are piling on 
the guilt trip. And I want you to understand that here we're going to talk about two different things. We're talking about being guilty of something and then a guilt trip that is placed on you. Only God can convict. Satan's tool is the guilt trip. All right, so when you start to feel, oh, I did something, I I just feel guilty, and then you get into this spiral, and you get on this guilt trip because Satan's lies are being poured into your life, and and you just have guilt after guilt after guilt, and it's this, this inward spiral down, and it makes you feel more and more guilty. That is a tool of Satan. God's not a God of guilt trips. God is a God of conviction. The word conviction is like a formal declaration that someone is guilty. But God's conviction is different. God's conviction, when we see that we have broken his laws or we're doing something wrong and we, we are not walking in line with him, God convicts. The spirit of God convicts us in our heart, all right? And he then will lead to repentance, he wants you to repent. It, it doesn't want that downward spiral. He wants that repentance, that turning 180 degrees and going the opposite direction. Because in that, then you begin to find forgiveness for those sins. And after forgiveness, there's freedom. So God's conviction, he's the only one who can convict. Your satanic best friend can put you on a guilt trip. No, just kidding. Your best friend's not satanic. I hope. I hope not. Only God can convict a person of sin. Look at this next one. Let's move on real quick. Save a person. God can save a person. I remember um, there. I worked uh, for a few years at a church in Mississippi. And one of the favorite phrases that everybody used there was, we got to get him saved. And I was like, there's, there's something really strange about that. Maybe you've used that phrase before just flippantly. We're going we're gonna to get them saved. There's nothing you and I can do to save another person from spiritual eternity in hell. Only God can save a person. Look at this. I alone am the Lord, the only one who can save you. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There's no question God makes it black and white. He's the only one who can save. And so when you start seeing lives turned around and, and, and people moving in a different direction, you begin to see that conviction take place and repentance and forgiveness and freedom. And they start moving and there's, and there's life change and people are living for God. God's at work that was not manufactured. Only God can do that. And the last one, and I think this is one we all just hope and pray and desire more than anything, is only God can bring revival. This one's difficult. It's very difficult as, a, um, as an employee of a church, as a minister in a church, because you want to manufacture something. You want to fix something. You want to, you want to do something. You want to build a program that will do this. Or you want to, you want to uh, just add some emotion and some hype. And this will bring the revival. But there's not. It's not going to happen unless God does it. Look at this truth. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven 
and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Revival is an improvement in the condition or strength of something. We would love nothing more than to see revival in these days. There's never been, if you look at this, uh, that phrase, there was um, one key word right in the center of that. If my people, meaning those who have put their faith, hope, and trust in, in God through the blood of Jesus Christ, if my people will humble themselves and pray, there's never been a huge dramatic movement of God There's never been a great moving of God's spirit that wasn't first preceded by earnest, personal prayer and commitment. Just take, for example, the um, before the day of Pentecost, how many days did they pray? Forty. Forty days of prayer and fasting and just the movement of God came after fervent, earnest prayer. Only God can bring revival. So when we try to create it, it just falls flat. Some of us, from time to time, all of us will have a moment where we think, you know what? God, boy, those great revivals way back then, I just don't, I just don't feel like God moves like that anymore. What he did in the scriptures, I just don't feel like, like God's doing that anymore. And I'm, I'm telling you, if that's our perspective of who God is, he won't. God says if we humble ourselves and pray and seek him, turn from the things that we're doing, then he's going to heal our land. Then he's going to bring the revival. Then he's going to bring what we so earnestly long for. But do we truly earnestly long for that? Zechariah 4, 6 says this, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. That's how it happens. A movement of the Holy Spirit. If we're looking for ways to grow a church and we're more than beyond just let's try to get the folks back that aren't here right now. I'm talking about into the communities and into our society and sharing the message of Jesus Christ that people are dying to hear. We have to pray. Martin Lloyd-Jones says in his book called Revival, perfect name, says when God acts, he can do more in a minute than man with his organizing can do in 50 years. And that's true. The church should be after what only God can do. We've seen enough of what we can do on our own. Only God can cause people to seek him. Only God can draw people to Jesus. Only God reveals spiritual truth when we read his word. Only God can convict a person of sin Only God can save a person. Only God will bring the revival that we all want. Would we all agree on these six points? I think it's pretty easy to to agree on these this morning. But when we're looking at what things that only God can do, there are things that we, that only we can do and no one else can do for us. And God spells that out. Now it gets a little bit, all right, God, you do, you do those six things. You do your thing. But God says, I need you to do a few things for yourself right there. I need, I need you to do something that only you can do and I can't do for you. 
your friends can't do for you, your parents can't do for you, those people around you, your church staff certainly can't do it for you. These are the things that you need to do, all right? So let's look at these things. These are very important. These are very important. If that's what God, only God can do, this is what only we can do. And the very first thing he calls us to do is to love him before self and others. Matthew 22 Jesus was asked, which command in the law is the greatest? And he said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depends on these two commands. Love God first and foremost, then love your neighbor as yourself. How do we do that? This is... Not mind-blowing. Again, it's, a, it's an opportunity for us to just put things and priorities and the responsibilities in place. But we have to spend time with him in daily prayer and Bible study. As a worship pastor, now granted, the last time I got to like speak like this to you was two and a half years ago. All right? So if you disagree with anything I say today, don't worry. You have like two and a half more years. You won't have to listen to anything that, that I'm saying. And maybe, maybe you will forget by then and, and let me speak again. But let me tell you this. As a worship pastor, the more important thing than music is that your life is living out a life of worship. If my job's reduced to picking out music, first of all, I'm going to fill you in a little secret. That doesn't take a lot of time. It doesn't take long to pick out music. Now you're like, why do we pay you? Well, I mean, I'm not going to go through all of my job description, but uh, there's a lot on the job description, or a lot of things I do that aren't on that job description, but they're, it's shepherding people, it's equipping people, it's teaching people to worship, not sing, worship, live out their love for God. And the way you start is a personal time with him in prayer and Bible study. And I'm going to tell you this right now, if Your one-hour worship service here with us is the only encounter with God's presence of your week. If this time together is your only experience and encounter with God of your week, you will begin to take ownership and you'll begin to see, you get that, um, that raised level of uh, control and that you begin to start to to uh, nitpick and you begin to look at things because hey you're messing with my one hour that's right warning warning perfect thank you lord for that you're messing with my hour you didn't have the right songs or the pastor didn't speak exactly didn't stir my heart or it didn't you know what the coffee was lukewarm in the hallway and and i i I don't know what to do the bathroom was dirty how do i worship with the bathroom filthy and what do i you know you begin to look at those things because you know what it might be precious to you but it's your only encounter with god and i'm telling you that is not the way to build what god is calling us and only we can do for ourselves we have to spend daily time in prayer and Bible study. And not only that, we have to spend time in worship. 
And I don't mean just here. I mean personal worship, corporate worship. And the big word of these days, consistent worship. Nothing seems consistent anymore. We pick and we choose and we do things. No, God says, I need you to be all in day after day after day. I need you to, to, to pray to me in the morning. I need you to open my words so that my spirit can speak to you like only I can. I need you to do your business with me because I'm going to, I'm going to move you in ways that only I can. Don't just think I could do it in one hour. God's saying, I'm God, but come on. I need you daily. Worship privately, corporately, consistently. Paul Beloche is one of my favorite writers of worship music. Um, probably one of his, um, his most well-known songs is Open the Eyes of My Heart, Lord, and, and um, Helpless. It's one of my favorite, Helpless Without Him. And he writes one small phrase that I found this week. It says, we can't fake corporately what we don't foster privately only you can love god before others and yourselves it's up to you nobody can do that for you first and foremost second thing all right moving along second thing that only we can do all right that god's placed on our plate Preach the gospel to everyone in the world. The Great Commission, right here in Mark 16, it says, Then Jesus said to them, go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation. All right? Do you have a desire to see people move to a relationship with God? Are you stirred by the things that break God's heart? Do those things... Do those things hurt you? Do those things bring you to your knees? Because only God can do that. Only you can preach that word. That's our responsibility. Penn Jillette in uh, Penn and Teller, a very famous magician, illusionist, comedians. If you've seen them, um, they had a a show in Vegas. They may still have a show in Vegas for a long time. But um, Penn Jillette is the one that speaks. Teller never speaks, and he's the sidekick. And, and the two of them are a fantastic duo. And one time, Penn Jillette recorded this video, and he, and he pumped it out for all the world to see, and he is a, a professed atheist. But listen to what he said about Christians who proselytize or, or push or, or, or um, preach the name of Jesus. Okay, You'd think he would be against that. He says this, I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize how much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that he goes on he says i mean if if i believed beyond the shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe that truck was bearing down on you there's a certain point where i tackle you And this is more important than that, is what he says. I mean, he's getting all fired up in this video, and you can find it on YouTube. It's very interesting, but it's a great... If if we're not 
drawn to make, to change the world and to, and to preach the gospel like Jesus says, we need to be doing that. That's only something we can do. Nobody can do that for you. We have to do that individually. Third thing, God says we need to help fellow believers get back on the right path. Galatians 6, read these words with me. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Accountability. That's our, that's our job. Only we can do that. We see somebody beside us who's a believer, a fellow believer, lift them up, encourage them, warn them. Only you can do that. And the last thing that God calls us to do, take a look at this. Do what is good because of God's grace. Do what is good because of God's grace. Found this verse this week. I've read it many times, but in the, in the context with this, in Titus 3, it says this. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good. To slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate and always to be gentle toward everyone. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his Mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. It's all wrapped up in that. We want to do, we want to do the right thing because we've received grace upon grace upon grace from God. And only we can do that because only we have experienced that the way we have. Second Timothy chapter 4 sums up kind of the times that we're in right now. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They'll turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. That's where we are today. But I'm here to tell you that only God can do those six things we talked about. Only we can do those four things that we listed. Only we can love God. Only we can preach the gospel. Only we can help those that are in need and are hurting. And only we can do the good things out of God's grace and his love. But I want you to see two truths as we wrap up this morning. Romans 8. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. I believe today that we have a diminished view of who God is. It affects our worship, both privately and corporately, myself included. 
I believe we don't fully believe this. We don't believe that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us and is available to us at all times. And the reason that that's important is because it drives what we do. It drives what we believe. It drives how we worship. It drives how we look at other people. It drives how we come to him and go, God, please send us revival. I have no idea how you're going to do it. But we want it. The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. If you've put your faith and trust in him. But the reverse is true as well. Because in John 15, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. You're talking about the very power that raised Jesus from the dead is inside of me. But if I'm not drawn to that power or that power isn't inside of me, I can do zero. I can do nothing God's ready. God wants to do what only he can do. But I can do nothing. Here's my question this morning. Are we going to do things on our own? Because we feel like we're in control. We don't need his help. Maybe our idea of doing things on our own is that we're just not going to do the things that we're that only we can do. But we expect him to do everything he can do. And he will. But we're responsible for what we can do. Or we can open our hands, we can let God do what only he can do. As we do what he's called us and only us to do. Let me remind you this morning that we serve a God who closed the mouths of lions for Daniel. We serve a God who parted the Red Sea for Moses. We serve a God who gave Sarah a baby, when everybody thought that was an absolute impossibility and God said, it's not impossible for me. We serve a God and we worship a God who raised Lazarus from the dead. He was dead. And Jesus raised him from the dead. That power, this power of Jesus, the power of the spirit, the power of God raised him from the dead. We serve a God who fed Thousands of people. You could say 5,000. You could say 10,000. I don't care. Because all they had were five loaves and two fish. And it fed everybody. And that God that had the power to do that. And to multiply that. And to feed those people physically. So they could be fed spiritually. And do all these things. My God did that. The God that we serve today did that. And his power did that. I'm here to tell you. That my God reached into my life, 
When I could do nothing, nothing to know him, to follow him, to worship and praise him, I could do nothing on my own. And he reached down and with his power, he pulled me out of my sin and he gave me eternal life. That's the power I'm talking about today. That's the power that only God can do certain things. We're called that we could only do certain things. I'm telling you, the connection between those two brings about revival. It brings about a change in the world around us. It brings God to our community. People are dying and we sit here one hour a week asking God, just move. And I'm saying today, I want to make a change. I want to commit. I want to do what he's called me to do that only I can do so that I can watch him in the midst of it do those things that only he can do. And I'm telling you, we will see heaven on earth when we commit our lives to what he wants us to commit our lives to. Do you want to see that? Father, I just, I thank you. I thank you for your spirit in this place. I thank you for the opportunity to worship you. I thank you, Lord, that my tired mind and body, I just wanted you this morning to speak, and I pray you take everything that we've talked about. Reminders of what only you can do, the challenges of what you call us to do, that only we can do, that nobody can do for us. And God, I pray that in the midst of all that, that you will not rely on the rocks to cry out your praise. I pray that we will praise you and live for you and worship you on a daily basis. And that all of us united in one Christ, in one Christ, would pray and seek your face and turn from our wicked ways and call on your name that you would heal what's going on around us and what's going on inside of us. This morning, there may be somebody in here who, who this is the first time that you've heard any of this. My desire is that you would take your life and you would place it in the hands of Jesus. That you would start this journey. You start your daily worship and praise. And then there's other in us, others of us in here that, that have just grown stagnant. We just needed a reminder. Of God's love. Of his power. That lives in us. That's being wasted. So this morning. The altar is open. For those of you that say. I just. I need to pray. I need God to. To, to supernaturally come. And to. To to change my marriage, to change my life, to change my relationship with my family or my kids or my coworkers. I need, I need God to transform my heart from the inside out. I need God to show me my first love again. Do it. Come forward. Pray and just lay yourself at his feet or where you are. Do the same thing. You don't, it doesn't matter. 
Maybe you want to join with us in this place. Please join with us in this place if you want to be a part of what God's doing here. Any other decisions that need to be made, there's staff down here. If you just want to come and pray with somebody and you just want to say, well, I'm hurting, I'm struggling, I'm in a place that I, only God can lift me out of, well, there you go. You're right. So let's stand together. Don't just sing this as a song this morning. Sing this as a commitment to him. Mean the words as you sing them. And lift it up today.